Hi, I'm Jim White from the Southwest Church of Christ, senior minister here. Uh, this is kind of an unusual circumstance. We've had uh, a large number, uh, a large percentage of our members who have tested positive for COVID, others who have been exposed. And, you know, there is no wrong or right answer here. But uh, for the sake of just being cautious, we decided to cancel services and just to record the sermon this way. And I want to encourage you, please, please uh, understand the situation our shepherds are in. Uh, because regardless of the decision that they make, um, there's going to be somebody that disagrees with them. And so uh, I can assure you that the decision that they made was done out of the abundance of caution and, um, and of concern for the body of Christ here at Southwest. So uh, tell them you appreciate them and, uh, and, and just uh, be kind in all of this. I have a <clears throat> toothbrush and toothpaste. Being uh, married to a dental hygienist, I have uh, ready access to such supplies. I've got toothbrushes at home, and uh, I've got a whole box full of, of, of samples of toothpaste. And, uh, you know, they sit right there. They sit on my uh, bathroom counter. And you know what? I've got floss. I've got everything I need. Toothbrush, toothpaste, floss. And you know what, though? I went to the dentist not too long ago, and I had three cavities. And I thought, well, how can that be? I've got a toothbrush, I've got toothpaste, I've got floss, and it's right there. Well, you know what I'm trying to say. Unless I take this toothbrush and this toothpaste and put it on there and brush my teeth and floss my teeth, unless I apply it, it's of no value whatsoever. By the way, I didn't have three cavities, I just use that as an illustration. But my point is, it's the same thing with Scripture. We can know the Scripture, we can quote the Scripture, and we can have multiple copies of it in our, in our offices or business or homes, but unless we apply it, it doesn't do any good. You know what? <clears throat> Even Satan knows the scripture. Even Satan can, can quote it. When Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted, Satan comes to him, and, and the first thing he says to him is, Here, here's, you know, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus quoted a scripture and said, you know, man should not live by bread alone. And then he takes him up on the, the highest point of the temple and says, throw yourself down. And then he quotes scripture. He says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That comes directly out of Psalm 91. How did Satan know that? I don't know. He knows scripture. And even the demons believe. In fact, in James chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So knowing scripture and quoting scripture can be done without really making a commitment 
And knowing God or knowing that there is a God doesn't really make a difference in our lives. And if he doesn't, if we don't understand that, if we don't pursue him, if we don't have the relationship with him, if we don't have that commitment, then what good does it do us to know what the scripture says? We make our decision based, or our decisions, I guess I should say, based on any number of things. We base our decisions on majority rule. What's everybody think about that? Let's vote on that. Uh, what's everybody else doing? Well, you know, everybody else is doing that. Remember uh, when, when you were a, a youngster and, and uh, you said <clears throat> to your parents, well, everybody else was doing it. What did they say to you? If everybody else would jump off a cliff, would you do it also? And so uh, we, we tend to make decisions based on what's the majority thing. Or we make decisions based on, on human traditions. Well, you know, that's not the way we've done it. We've done it in other ways. Or, or somebody comes up with an idea and says, we're going to do it this way. And somebody obviously comes along and says, well, you know, we tried that before and it just didn't work. So we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And we revert to that first way. We tried that. But everybody's doing it this way. Or we make decisions based on human reasoning. Oh, that's dangerous. Oh, it just feels right. Oh, I just feel it in my gut. I had a boss one time that that's what he said all the time. I, I just had this gut. And, and I understand where people come from on that. But sometimes our gut doesn't tell the truth. And so we need something. We need a guide. We need a, a standard that helps us to decide what's right and what's wrong. To decide how to make decisions. Can I get personal with you? I mentioned this in my devotional online. And I've been to a lot of churches and a lot of different assemblies, both in and out of our fellowship. And I see people on Sunday mornings and they're worshiping God, at least I think they are. And they've got their hands raised and they've got their hearts, at least, the, you know, you see the sincerity on their faces. And you see them and you think how spiritual they are. But, and I include myself in on this, I wonder how much is for show. I wonder how much is done on Sunday morning. And I wonder if people who seem so spiritual on Sunday are as spiritual on Monday at work or Tuesday at the ball game or Wednesday in their car. You see, God says, I want you to use my word, but I want it to be part of your life. I want it to, to be that standard, that guide that leads us into a commitment to Jesus Christ. Paul went to Mars Hill on one of his missionary journeys. And, and he was talking about the resurrection. He saw all these gods, and he saw one that was to the unknown God, and and. He was going to talk to them, and there were some people, especially when he talked about resurrection, 
that, that just started arguing with him. And, and it says that the, the people that were there were the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. If you read about some of these people, uh, they're called sophists or sophists. And, and it's kind of interesting. It's where we get our word for sophomore. Uh, you know, you, you've got seniors and juniors, but then you've got the sophomores. Sophists are people who argue for the sake of arguing. They may not agree or disagree, but they argue with you. And it just seems to be one of these kind of things where you go around in a circle all the time. You remember your parents used to say to them, you'd argue with a, with a wooden post. I, I remember one time when I was young, and please don't misunderstand me, I, I'm not against lawyers. Uh, but, but I was around some law students. Uh, I was going to school at the University of Arkansas, and the, there was a young man that I'd gone to high school with that happened to be entering law school that year. And we were just striking up a conversation. And uh, it was around the time that the Panama Canal, you remember that controversy? The Panama Canal was being given to another nation after all the sweat and the work that we had done as a nation to build that. And then it was given over, uh, and I don't even remember, if it was it the Chinese? I don't remember. Uh, but he asked me, what's your opinion? about the Panama Canal. Well, I kind of went off, you know. I said, I can't believe we're giving it away. And, you know, I went on and on and on. And, and he argued back and forth with me for, for quite some time. And after we had kind of discussed this topic and he had taken the, uh, the, the pro uh, aspect and I had taken the con aspect of giving the Panama Canal away, he looked at me and he said, well, I agree with you. I just wanted to hear what you had to say. That's kind of a sophist. And that's kind of the people that Paul was dealing with. But the point is, there's no particular belief. They just want to argue the point. King Saul, <clears throat> I, I've been studying uh, in our small group about King Saul. King Saul, um, he looked like a king. I mean, he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. But he had a big problem with ego. He had a big problem with, uh, with, with David. But King Saul, at one point, it was towards the end of his, of his uh, reign, uh, he, had, he had banned all mediums and all spiritists from the land. They could not be there. But he had prayed to God, and God had not answered him. He was concerned that God hadn't come to him in a dream or in some kind of vision to tell him what to do. It was a problem with the Philistines. And so he went to some of his top people, and he says, I want you to find a medium. Hence, you know the story of the witch of Endor. And I know, I know, I know, I hammer, us, uh, I hammer us about grace. But grace must have an effect on the way that we carry out our lives. And in essence, what Saul said was, do as I say and not as I do. And sometimes I think that's what we as Christians say. 
You know, we, we can speak a good game. We can talk a good game. But when it really comes down to the, to the nitty-gritty, we don't have the commitment that we need to have. We like the show that we come together on Sunday. But we act totally different on the other days. In James chapter 1, from the message, starting in verse 22, he says, Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are, what they look like. James has, a, has an illustration here for us. He said, do you ever look in a mirror and forget what you look like? He says, that's the people who listen to Scripture but don't apply it. They'll agree with it. They'll say, yes, that's exactly what I believe. But when push comes to shove, they forget it when they enter their, their regular daily lives. Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem. Uh, he was going to stand trial. It was the, at the end of his uh, third missionary journey. And uh, it was really the beginning of the end for Paul. <clears throat> because what was going to happen was he was coming to Jerusalem uh, for his trial. He ends up appealing to Caesar. But before he gets there, he, he calls together the Ephesian elders. Wow, I wish I could see this scene. Because he loves those people. And they gather together on the, on the seashore. And they pray together. You've heard of deathbed confessions. You better listen on those kind of things, right? Well, here's Paul, and he's getting to the end of his life. And he, he calls these Ephesian elders together, and he says this. Now I commit you to God and to the word of grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of grace. And I know it's not literally talking about scripture. But he's talking about the words that he has said to them. The words that he has uh, taught them. And, and those words end up being in our canon. He says I want you to understand. And I want you to understand that, that they can build you up. Peter, knowing that his time on earth was coming to an end, wrote these words. This from 2 Peter chapter 1. He said, His divine power has given us everything we need. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Everything we need. 
And not only everything we need, but everything we need for a godly life. He calls us to live a godly life. He calls us to live in such a manner that, that's different than the world, that's completely uh, opposite of what our culture says. Yes, I understand we have to live in the culture. Yes, I understand we have to be here. But doesn't the scripture say, I want you to be in the world, but not of the world? The psalmist said many years ago, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Listen to what he says. By living according to your word. All throughout Psalms, we have a scripture after scripture talking about the importance of of the law, importance of the word, and how we meditate on it. And it's, it's there to tell us that we need to call on God, that we need to let it affect our lives. And as a result of knowing him, we live for him. I've mentioned this passage so many times, especially recently. And it's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we sing that wonderful, wonderful song. It's a kid's song, and yet it's so important. He talks about the foundation. He tells the story of the wise and the foolish man. The wise man builds his house on the rock. The foolish man builds his house on the sand. And I, for years, read that passage, and all I could think about was the wise man building his house upon the rock and the wise man building his house upon the sand. And as a kid, I always loved that last part because the foolish man's house went splat, and we could yell that out. But I want you to see what he says. He says, the one who builds his house on the rock is like one who hears the word of Jesus and puts them into practice. It's not just a knowing it. It's not just a memorizing it. It's not just a having it in your library, in your home, wherever. It's putting it into practice. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, it says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. People come into my office all the time for advice. I don't know why. I'm, I'm not the best person to come to. But they'll come in and they'll ask me about different things. Some of it is, is fairly mundane and some of it is extremely important. They may ask about a certain job. I've had people come in and say, should I take this job? Uh, and, and people come in and, and ask me things like that. And, and it's a difficult question to answer. But I always go back to one verse. It's one that I keep on my heart all the time. Instead, he says, make your top priority God and his way of life. And all these things will be given to you as well. That's N.T. Wright's The Kingdom New Testament from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. The most 
common, I guess, the most uh, ordinary uh, verse, the way that we usually translate it is, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's my advice to you today. Regardless of what happens, regardless of, of, of your life, whatever happens on Sunday, I want you to act the same on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And I, I understand, I understand that there may be some times that we falter and, and drop off. But I want you to keep that passage on your heart. Instead, make your top priority God's kingdom and his way of life. I'm not saying it'll answer all your problems, but I'm telling you, it should make your life easier. I hope you have a good day.